I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnerGeek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Official Gunna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Howdy, friends. Also, we've got SP. After two and a half years, I can safely report my new furnace is alive again. It's live. Woohoo! Uh, hey, you know what else is alive? No. Unfortunately, the demand for the uh, the Snyderverse. That's still a thing going on uh, many demand? weeks later. It's still all over the Twitter. People are still chatting about it. And yeah, I believe that called- that's largely because I actually watched the Snyder cut this past weekend. So uh, yeah. it's free HBO max promotion at this point. You know, That's all it is. I know, I know, but uh, I did go on Twitter after and I did see a lot of comments about there. And I got to say, um, I, I think SP, you summarized it. Well, I'll try to stay out of spoiler territory, but I think you are absolutely correct that um, the story is better told as a whole, but it is not a better film. Um, it's just, that there's too much. And though I'll stay out of the spoiler territory. I just want to give my two cents before, you know, this fades away too much. I think the problem is Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon both have the same problem is that they didn't understand where the DCU was at the time. Joss Whedon tried to treat it like there was multiple movies that had really established a universe. And Zack Snyder tried to treat it like there was um a whole bunch of those movies needed to be filled into one specific movie, like a whole bunch of different stories that would have been better as multiple individual movies. So I think that they both actually weirdly had the same problem, but at opposite ends. And like for me, I just feel like the Joss Whedon one is more, a lot more watchable as a single watch. And um, I- Also half the length. Yeah, and you know, like obviously, I've made it no secret. I'm I'm not a fan of the the real release of Justice League, so um, I the bar was already set low. But for me, Snyder Cut came in even lower. Look, guys, ensemble movies in Hollywood very difficult to do because yeah. you have only so much screen time, even if it's a three hour movie. Because we're at the point where we're making three hour movies, right? There's only so much screen time that goes around. So there's only so much story that can go around. And if you have so many A-list or even B-list, if you have so many characters, it's going to be impossible to place them in a limited amount of stories. So then you get story growth and story goes all over the place. And as a viewer in one sitting, you can't follow it. Now, in a TV show, when you're sitting down over multiple weeks or a whole season or seasons, you could do multiple stories. You get that. You get character growth a little bit at a time, but you can't cram that whole thing into a two and a half to three hour movie. It's not. And even with Snyder, he couldn't do it in four. He tried yeah. and it just didn't work. 
Now, I will give credit where credit's due. I will say that one of the biggest things that I remember um, when I first watched Justice League coming out was like, Cyborg, what what the heck is with that? Like, just mm-hmm. like shoehorned in there. 100%, 100% mm-hmm. the uh, Snyder Cut gives you information on Cyborg. Way better handling, but you would expect so with four hours. Um, as well, I think that the uh, musical score was a lot more representative of the different characters and was just a better better play. Now, obviously, there's been a couple of movies released since Justice League first came out that uh, maybe that he had to play off of. But um, yeah, I just th- those are my thoughts and I-, I won't harp on it, but I just wanted to give my take mm-hmm. since I finally watched it. And uh, I did rewatch the weed in one right after I watched this, the Snyder, oh. Snyder. Just, Whoa. Yeah, Dude, yeah, I know. I wanted to make sure I wasn't being unfair. And um, also, I-, I wanted to do the, the analysis where I'm like, wait a minute, that's different. And then go and pull up the other one and do a, sh- a side by side and go, oh, yeah, you could tell the hair's a little different on this spot. And, you know, just really, really oh, break yeah. it down. Right. <laughs> So question for you, Stephen, since you're such a fan of Zack Snyder's creative vision, when is the GunnaGeek.com show going to be presented in four by three aspect ratio to purposely present your artistic vision of what it should be? Give me some time. Make your news story uh, drawn out. Maybe I can make it happen. We'll see. (laughs) Just talking about different things that we've done in the past week, I completely finished my Star Wars watch through. You know, I started with the Phantom Menace. I worked through all the series and everything. I watched the remainder of episode nine on the treadmill on Saturday. The whole thing hit caboodle. Never going to do it again, but I did it. And it took several months to do it, by the way. Well, I think that you should definitely make yourself a trophy and give it to yourself. That's what I think you should do. Yeah, everybody's a winner. I completed the Star Wars watch through. Chris, what did you do? Uh, I played video games. Which video game? <gasps> yeah. Well, I was trying to play Outriders, which I think I talked about briefly on this show at one point in time because it came to Xbox Game Pass mm. day one. But their servers were really, really screwy. So they had to actually resort to the tried and true method of turning them all off to turn them back on again to see if that fixed things. No joke. That's what they did at one point in time. And it sort of fixed things. But it, it's not going well. I've enjoyed the game. But trying to play multiplayer with folks has been problematic because matchmaking seems to be broken. So I've been playing a multiplayer game as a single player experience right now. And it's fun, but I'm looking forward to getting to actually, you know, play with people at some point in time once things are working again. Does it play any better on your PlayStation 5? Well, if I had a PlayStation 5, I could play crossplay with my friends on Xbox and vice versa. But I do not have a PlayStation 5. Darn. So you say. And why would I buy it for PlayStation 5 when it's part of my Game Pass subscription on Xbox? I don't know, because you like the PlayStation 5 better? Yeah, that, that's certainly one opinion. All right, well, let's go ahead to more of our opinions and get to the news. All right, so today is First Contact Day, and the reason for First Contact Day is because uh, in the future, this will be the day that the Vulcans make um, communication with us, make contact with us. Uh, the, uh, so, First contact, you may say. Yes. Yeah, I have a short question. Okay. How did this become the big Star Trek Day instead of Kirk's birthday? Because didn't it used to be Kirk's birthday? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, probably because first contact day is a retcon, which then came first in the timeline. I don't know. Um, it's not really a retcon. They just established the timeline for when first contact to happen. That's true. Uh, however, today is first contact day, and that means that today Star Trek did take the opportunity to make it a real big marketing push for upcoming releases from different Star Trek properties. So I want to take a few minutes here to run down a bunch of the different things that were released today, and I'll just quickly go through them and then turn it over to Chris and SP to shut me up and give me their thoughts. And let's start off with Paramount Plus. By the way, a lot of this is Paramount Plus since that's basically where all of the Star Trek stuff is coming out of. Paramount Plus did release a first look at the Captain Catherine Janeway that we will see in the animated kids series Star Trek Prodigy. This is set to come out later this year. Uh, Kate Mulgrew is going to be making a reappearance as the voice of Janeway, who will serve as the Starship's built-in emergency training hologram. That's really cool to see that she's going to be coming on back. I have no real thoughts on it because I've only just read the quick synopsis as well as seeing the image on it. But, you know, it's nice seeing them continue to branch out the Star Trek property into another uh, type of property. Next up, Paramount Plus did announce that the second season of Lower Decks will premiere on August 12th. They did drop a teaser trailer. Gotta say, not a lot in this te teaser trailer, but I really liked season one, surprisingly. And I, this has me all sorts of excited for the next season. I don't even know what that means. Well, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, well, check out the uh, the teaser if you don't know what what Riker, I mean, as I mean, uh, Riker's in the trailer. Uh, that's where we're going with that. Next up, Paramount Plus did give a teaser trailer for the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, which will also premiere later this year. I got to say, uh, I saw something really exciting to me at the finale. Spoiler alert at the finale of season three, they debuted new uniforms that were kind of new, but they were like the. Um, Throughout, throughout all of the season three, but they, the crew finally got into them and I hated them. They were gray. They looked ugly. I thought they were like visually a disaster for the screen. And it's nice to see that they've gone back to the Star Trek colors with the style of those uniforms. So that's cool. Also, uh, Paramount Plus did announce that they're going to be uh, releasing a feature-length documentary called uh, Woman in Motion, Nichelle Nichols, which is all going to be about Nichelle Nichols' uh, impact on a bunch of different areas of life, including space and a bunch of other things. This looks really cool. Uh, I've been really liking the different Star Trek documentaries and the behind-the-scenes videos that a lot of people are putting up there. Looking forward to seeing a little bit more about this. And lastly, Paramount Plus did give a teaser trailer for the upcoming second season of Picard, which will premiere in 2022. Yes, it's been announced that it won't be premiering until 2022. But here's the exciting part about that. It was confirmed that the wonderful John Delancey will be returning as Q. Yes, this is awesome to me. And here's uh, my, my conspiracy theory. Again, with a spoiler alert, if you haven't watched season one of Picard, I wonder, I wonder if this is how they fix 
the the overall panning of what they did with Picard turning into an android at the end of season one. Q could do it. Q could be the key. He has screwed with Picard's life before, and he could restore him back to human because I, mean, I, I don't know. I think that, that that might be one of those things that they look to try to get Picard out of. Q's done it before. It was what season one of Star mm-hmm. Trek TNG where he temporarily turned Data human. Exactly. So it's not unheard of. So I think that this could be our key to getting Picard back to human, uh, which I think would be really good because the way that they set up the whole, oh, Picard will eventually die thing was a bunch of BS. So I'm looking forward in any case to seeing Q make a reappearance in the Star Trek universe in addition to season one of Lower Decks, of course. So what are your guys' thoughts? Let's start off with you, Chris. So the thing I'm most excited about, obviously, is the return of Q because we all had our thoughts and feelings. Of, oh, is Q going to show up in some way, shape, or form in episode, not episode, season one of uh, Star Trek Picard? So to get confirmation that he's showing up, that's cool. But at the same time, let's not also read into the fact that Q is going to be a main character or anything like that. I somehow doubt that's the case. But John Delancey's involvement that's always good in my mind. He and Patrick Stewart had great chemistry on screen. Well, to be honest, John Lancey's had great chemistry with all the Trek captains, though, as I think about it. Although I am partial to then Commander Sisko punching him in the face in a boxing ring. That was pretty fantastic. I'm not Picard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as for the other news, like we'd known for a while that Kate Mulgrew was returning to the role of Janeway. It was supposed to be, and I believe that that show originally was supposed to be on Nickelodeon, and I think now it might be on Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon both. That's cool. I mean, Star Trek's kind of spreading their wings to try and cover all the different bases, kids shows, cartoons geared towards adults, ongoing Star Trek dramas that kind of are an homage to the old school feeling of Trek, and then pushing forward with what their current new vision for Trek is in Star Trek Discovery. So I would, I would argue that no matter what kind of Trek fan you are, be it if you're someone that prefers the original kind of Star Trek versus someone who prefers new Trek, there's probably something here for you. I don't know if I'm going to consume all of the content, but I'm excited to see where it's going. And I do have Paramount Plus for another 11 months, so I guess I should watch something besides four reruns of The Challenge and The Challenge All-Stars, because that's pretty much all I've been watching on there. SP, I know that you've watched a bunch of this as well. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, with the Prodigy series, I'm not going to watch it. I, I'm just not going to. It just doesn't turn my handle. I, however, I don't hate Kate Mulgrew. I don't hate Captain Janeway. I think this is a, an actual good use of the character, transforming the character into a hologram and then make it accessible to a very young generation. I think this is something that Trek has not really embraced. And they are going to embrace and it's going to open up uh, future fans like 20, 30 years from now. You know, people that are your age, not my age, because it'd be another like 50 or 60 years to get to my age there. But I think it's a really smart move. And I'm glad to see that for Lower Decks. It's just going to be flat out fun to watch. It's going to be brainless stuff to, to watch. It's going to be fun. And that's why I interrupted your little new segment right, right there uh, with the. Last line from the trailer there, uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm a little conflicted on this one. I will probably watch it because there's probably not much else going on, but I'm not like really stoked to watch it, which is kind of weird because this is what I 
kind of want in a universe. Let's get beyond everything. Let's go to something new. And I just don't know if I'm embracing it or not. The the last one, though, with the, the Picard, the rollout of Q in the trailer literally had me doing flashbacks to when I was in Chicago in 2019 at Star Wars Celebration. And at the end of the trailer for episode nine in McDermott, you could hear his laugh and he physically came out onto the stage. I was there. Many, many thanks to Jeremy from Transmissions Podcast for enabling that for me. I did not have tickets to get into there. He allowed me to use one of his t- his family's tickets to get in there. It was great. I'm glad I was there. Uh, it was something that I'll always remember, regardless of what I think about episode nine. This rollout of John Delancey in this trailer reminded me so much of that. It was like, oh, you're almost ripping it off. But on the other hand, I really enjoyed Q in the series. I think Q and Picard pin off each other really well. I think it's going to be a decent story. The one thing that I'm always a little bit iffy about with Picard is, let's face it, Patrick Stewart's not getting any younger. So as they're filming this season, they have to end it at a point of what if Patrick Stewart doesn't come back for the next season. So you're always going to get an end point, and that might be the end point that you're going to have to live with in the end. So this might be a very important season here between Q and Jean-Luc Picard. Or an end point that allows them to spin it off with other characters that aren't Picard. Like you could very easily pick it up and have it be like, hey, Seven of Nine, is. we're going to do a mini series focused on what Seven of Nine is doing based off what we see in the first two seasons of Picard or something like that. I would say some of the other characters, but I don't think people care enough about any of the other characters to want to spin off of them at this point in time. Yeah. That, I don't mean that as a slight. I, that that came across sounding poor. I don't mean it. No, to, I'll but, give you a Star Wars analogy. Andor. I could care less about Andor. Yeah, Who fair. cares? And, and and let's be honest, the way that those characters were used in um, season one was really as supporting for Picard and Seven of Nine, right? Like that was that w- that was the focal point stories that they were giving us were on those two characters because they were recognizing they were coming back with characters for the first time in a very long time. And they wanted to tell a story to build the, to fill in the gap between that point And when we left off. So these other characters were just kind of there for a little bit of side plot, but overall just support. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing um, all of this when it comes out. Really, really weirdly excited for Lower Decks. <laughs> so the thing that really surprised me on this, and maybe they just haven't announced it yet because it's still first contact day and they're probably still dropping news, is I didn't see anything on, a, what is it, Brave New Worlds, the spinoff they're doing with Captain Pike and Spock and uh, Number One. And that's supposed to be filming soon, if not now, I thought. So I assumed they'd give us something in regards to that. But I'm, I'm wondering why they didn't. Maybe it's going on right now, though. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Maybe maybe it's because they're trying to fill in the schedule um, a little bit because... I mean, but that's part of the schedule. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking, though, maybe it's pushed to 2022. Maybe, I mean, my concern for them is the longer they put off talking about it or showing off a bunch of stuff with it, the more the interest dies down because discovery is about to do its second season set 3000 years in the future or whatever it is now. So we're, we're more removed 
from Captain Pike and when that fan movement was starting up, like, oh my God, we really love what Anson Mount's doing with this. We want to see more of Captain Pike on the Enterprise. We're getting more and more removed from that. And that's not to say fans won't care still, but it's not as electric for lack of a better term. What if they're planning on killing off Discovery after season four and just reverting back? Yeah, I could see them doing that too. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends on the numbers they get of people who are watching Discovery. Since they, much like all the Netflix things we talked about, they know what their numbers are internally. We yeah. don't share it. So they get a good idea of how popular it is. So we're not basing popularity on things like a Twitter hashtag like we're doing with the Snyderverse re- restoration. I have not heard anything from Anson Mount or about him that would indicate that the series is not going forward. No, mm-hmm. and, and I believe they did start filming in February, actually. Um, and and it, I think it's being filmed in Toronto. Mm, Mississauga, maybe. Anyways, it's somewhere in Ontario. Yeah, but, just to me, that jumped out as kind of a glaring miss of all of their upcoming Star Trek that they had going on is Brave New Worlds not really getting a mention of what we'd seen so far. And and like I said, let me preface this as we record this, it's about 9 p.m. Eastern time on the 5th of May. It's very possible that they're still dropping news while we're in the middle of the show. So if they have, please don't send me the hate mail. Big Chris, your head's up your butt. You didn't realize what's going on. Well, no, we're no, recording no. while it's going on. <laughs> no, send Chris the hate mail. Yeah, JS that's, at GunnaGeek.com. No, Chris at GunnaGeek.com. No, no, this, JS this at GunnaGeek.com. No, 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 Chris at GunnaGeek.com. <laughs> or go to geeks.link slash Discord and go to the GunnaGeek channel and you can let me know in there. Yeah. Those are your two options. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next news story here, which is all about the Pixel 6. When I heard about this, I thought, oh, Chris is going to talk about this on the show. Yes, this is kind of some interesting news and kind of jives with some rumors we've been hearing and kind of makes us understand what Google's plan is going forward for how they're going to support their Pixel lines of phones. And I got the news from Droid Life and 9to5Google and a few other sources I put together. But here's the basics. Google has reportedly been working on a processor they have codenamed Whitechapel, according to 9to5Google. They view documentation with references to it and upcoming devices. Upcoming devices such as the Pixel 6, 5a, and another new phone from Google possibly coming later this year. We don't know a ton of details about Whitechapel's capabilities, but we've seen it attached to something with a codename of Slider, which people have taken and found in the Google Camera app when they've deconstructed it. Slider is some sort of shared platform with Whitechapel that ties the two device that ties to two devices codenamed Raven and Oriole. These are supposedly the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 5a's code names. So let, let's dig in a little deeper. The folks at Droid Life and all these other guys kind of dug in and found a bit more information. They said the new Whitechapel chip is supposedly referred to as GS101 and could be built with Samsung Semiconductor and Samsung Exynos components and software. In other words, Google may be helping Samsung with this chip to leave Qualcomm out of the equation. We'll come back to that, why this is very important, the Qualcomm Qualcomm piece. Since the story first dropped, a second confirmation of the GS101 chip has surfaced, along with another codename of Dauntless. Michelle Rahman from XDA believes that GS101 has a three-cluster setup with a TPU, a tensor processing unit, and that Dauntless is some sort of security chip, possibly related to Google's Titan M chip that we've seen them advertise. Additional reporting and speculation by XDA puts this chip in the 5 nanometer octa-core chip with an ARM Mali GPU. It may end up being in the upper mid-range 
And we can equate this to something similar to the current Qualcomm Snapdragon 7 series lines of processors. So two things we can take away from this. They're not going for a cutting edge chip, it doesn't look like. They're not going for something that's going to compete with, what is it, the uh, Snapdragon 865, I think is the current cutting edge chip. But that sort of makes sense because what we saw with the Pixel 6, excuse me, Pixel 5, is they went with the, what was it, the Qualcomm Snapdragon 765 Plus or something like that. They went with something that wasn't the cutting edge chip because A, it's cheaper and that cost gets carried on to us, which is kind of nice. And B, they've started to realize you don't have to win the spec war if the experience can be good. So something I brought up here is this is leaving Qualcomm out of the equation. Why is that important if you are an Android user or more specifically a Pixel user? One of the more problematic things when it comes to owning an Android phone is long-term software support. If you have an iPhone, you're used to the fact you can squeeze, what, five to six years out on OS updates anymore, it seems like. The, the uh, hard thing for the Google ecosystem has been you're reliant on Qualcomm putting out updates to the Snapdragon chips for three plus years to be able to do OS updates. When Qualcomm stops patching and putting out updates for a Qualcomm chip, it's really tough for Google to be able to continue to support it because they're unable to patch the processor any of those other things. And that is why you've seen a lot of these initiatives from Google and Samsung and things like that to push out the life of Google and Android phones, but they've only been able to go out to three years because Qualcomm is only supporting these processors for three years. If Google gets into the same game as Apple here of using a processor that they are responsible for manufacturing, that means you can push out how long these phones can be supported for. You can also better engineer these devices to work more specifically with some of those processors so that you can get more power savings, so you can optimize appropriately, things like that. This is one of these things people have been asking for for a long time of saying, hey, Google, you need to get in this game so that you are no longer reliant on the Snapdragon processors. And I just triggered my assistant because I literally used the trigger words there. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> for the audio listener, Chris is muting so he can tell his his uh, Google Home Mini to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I just I saw it light up out of the corner of my eye. I was like, son of a gun. <laughs> because I didn't even think about it. I used the expression that would trigger it. But but importantly though, let's go back to this. If Google is getting into the processor game and their processors don't suck, let's keep that in mind. It's good news for people who are Pixel users because it may mean you're getting more years of life out of your devices because we have seen folks they're still out there rocking pixel ones and pixel twos and they're not using any official google updates of the os anymore because they're no longer officially supported they're all supporting it on their own and putting out collaborative patches of their own and flashing their own os's onto them so the hardware can potentially support it but the problem has always been the processor and if google is doing it themselves you get around that problem it worked for apple in fact it worked so well for apple they started doing it for all of their laptops and desktop computers now, too. So I think this is an interesting move. And I wonder what Qualcomm's reaction is here, too. And more importantly, I wonder if this means there might actually be a hope for Wear OS to continue in some decent form. Because the problem has always been the uh, Snapdragon processors they put in those are just hot, terrible garbage. Yeah. Just absolutely terrible. You know, the only reservation I have on this is that it is Google, and obviously, anytime Google starts something new, I have hesitancy because of the fact that what are they going to do with it long term? That's just the way that it is. But if we put that aside, I do think this makes a ton of sense for 
multiple reasons. Number one, like if they want to branch out to something else, having that same chip, we've seen how that has benefited Apple for being able to use their chip in multiple different mobile devices. Uh, But the second thing is that Google has pretty much since they launched the Pixel line, not, not even pretty much, Google has definitively since they launched the Pixel line done their own thing in different areas of every single phone. And starting back with the first Pixel, they said, no, we don't need all of these different camera features you're having. We can do the same thing with software. And, and they've done this along the way with different areas. And so it is something that they are obviously open to having their own creative vision that they think will fit a certain niche. And so far that has worked. Is the Pixel phone and has the Pixel phone ever been for everybody? No, it has not appealed to the masses like the iPhone does or a Samsung device. That That's not the case, but they know what they're going for. And, you know, maybe the Pixel 2 or 3, they, they kind of tried to go the wrong way. But now that it's clear that they've gone back to where they were with Pixel 1, which is that they were looking to do a certain thing with that product. And so I think this could fit in very well because like you said, they used the past generation this time on their quote flagship phone and it worked for, for everybody that wanted what the pixel five was. It worked. So I would love to see what they do with this as long as they engineer it. Right. And I don't think that should be a concern. Uh, you know, Google's kind of dabbled in this sort of thing before. Do you know that that, that pixel processor or whatever the photo thing is that they put in, is that something that Google designed or is that something that they... My understanding is, I think it's what it's the Pixel Visual Core or whatever yeah. they called it, was yeah. something that was of their own design that they snuck in there and people didn't actually know it existed until they started doing teardowns. Google's like, oh, surprise, this is something we're going to enable with a software update at a later point. Right. So I, I look forward to seeing what they do um, if this does come out. And I think it could really benefit the line. Now, one thing to keep in mind before we toss over to SP on that. This is also pixels we're talking about. So this is a very small market share. Google deciding to go with their own processor is not necessarily going to shake up the Android headset ecosystem. No. However, comma, if they're successful with it, you may see Samsung start to consider doing more of their phones in North America with their Exynos processor instead of buying Snapdragon processors. Because it used to be for a lot of these Samsung devices, if you bought the international version, it didn't have a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor and it had a Samsung homemade Exynos process. Mm. SP, what's your thoughts on this? I know that Chris and I are just like, we pale in comparison for our Android love compared to you. I have several things to say. The first of which is Chris, when you say forever comma, is that some sort of dictation to your Google device? And you're just trying to tell your Google device to put a comma right there are you just so used to that and then what kind of comma is it is it an english comma is i mean what what, what's up with that i don't even know if i when i did that so it's probably just a speaking quirk of mine okay second of all steven when you said reservations and google did you check your gmail because i'm pretty sure that google wanted to try to make you reservations Mm at a restaurant, maybe a flight, a hotel somewhere. So I don't know. You might want to check for some sort of reservation that popped up as a recommendation in your Gmail. It's Did true. they enable that in Canada? I don't know. I, in my in my <laughs> email right now, is weird. Somehow I've managed to book for a hotel, a flight, and a bunch of movies. And no movie theaters open around here. It's odd. 
Yeah. Uh, by those home delivery movies? Like, are you <laughs> streaming them? Or are they mailing them to you? Uh, we won't talk about the movies that's reserved for me right now. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pirates, so, huh? I, as far as phones go right now, uh, we, and I, I won't go specifically to Pixel right now. You guys are the Pixel experts, and I can't really refute anything that you guys say on here. But I will say, in general, what you're talking about in the cell phone market, Chris, you alluded to it a little bit, is that we're at the point now where the high-end phones are just a little bit extra, right? And the only reason that you buy a really new phone after a couple, two, three years, is the battery starts to go out or it just starts to get wear and tear on it. And you're like, well, yeah, I need a new phone that works a little bit better. But you can extend that, as Chris, you said, you can extend it up to five or six years, possibly, before you start losing that OS infrastructure on some phones. And the market is just being saturated. Nobody really wants to buy a $1,000 or $1,500 phone. And I realize the Pixel is a little lower price point, but I, I just will throw that out there for, in general, smartphones. The other thing that we have going on right now is a chip shortage. So it might not be the specific chips that you're talking about in this story here, but in general, you have a computer chip shortage worldwide that is affecting manufacturing. And in fact, Samsung decided not to put a new Note phone out this year for these two reasons that I just talked about, because they just didn't see a market for it in this particular year with the pandemic and slowing smartphone sales and chip shortages. And I think we're seeing the market finally taking that strategic pause, slow down a little bit. You don't need to release that new phone every year with that great new capability. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that here with the Pixel 5a and the Pixel 6. I know the Pixel line in its entirety has kind of been driving here, but I think we're seeing it even more with these uh, speculations. That's a really good point about um, chip availability. That might be one of the factors as well as they'd been mulling it over for a while and maybe they had some troubles. And so they said, fine, time for us to do it. I didn't think about that. Good point, SP. Well, one thing to keep in mind, though, with the note also is I think they're using that as a convenient excuse to potentially shut down that line, because if you look at the most recent, uh, what is it, the regular Galaxy line of phones? They're basically Galaxy Notes. In fact, they even built a stylus for them now. So you sit there kind of going, why do you have the Note line when you've got the Galaxy Note, the Galaxy S line, which is pretty much the exact same thing now? Where, where's my differentiating point? So I think they might also be taking a little bit of a pause there to be like, oh, crap, we've kind of made these products the exact same. Now's our time to cancel. <laughs> there's some speculation that that's an issue. Absolutely. But there's some speculation, especially with the foldables as they're being developed that the Note line will be re-emerging as a new foldable brand as it comes out in two or three years when they bring it back. So right. all, all possibility. I have no magic crystal ball here. I'm just laying it out that it was a factor with the chip shortage to cancel the Note. Convenient excuse. I don't think they would have canceled it this year had it not been for that. So, Yeah, I, I wager you're probably right, but I think they may have uh, knocked their production down on it some because of how similar it is to the rest of their product lines, but chip shortages are a big deal. There's a Kickstarter, not Kickstarter, Indiegogo project I did for wireless Android Auto. They sent us out an update and said, hey, the chips we wanted, they're not available. So there's going to be a bit of a delay because we bought what was readily available 
which is a better chip, which is good for you guys, but is going to cause prices to go up for anyone who wasn't part of the backing campaign that wants to buy this. So people are trying to find a way to do it. You're starting to see people going, well, this is available. And even though it's not quite what I need, I'll pay a little bit extra so I can get these products out. I mean, we've been seeing this ripple effect for a year now. Mm-hmm. I-, I joked earlier about the PS5, but the PS5 and the new Xbox are just a small slice of this whole thing. Cell phones, cars, appliances, uh, electronics like televisions, and it's all being affected. And, and we're just running into the point of, okay, we're just going to take what's available. Why did we not get an Apple TV, a new Apple TV, sixth generation? Me to it. Yeah. I was about yeah. to make the Apple TV reference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this all could be interrelated. I know that there were production issues, like literally factories couldn't open, even if they did have the hardware available, the specs available or whatever. But yeah, I, I think we're going to be seeing this more and more. The, I was trying to think of what really would bug me the most. And, and right now it's just the big ticket items like cars. Automakers are making cars and literally parking hundreds, if not thousands of them just because they don't have the final chip to throw in there. Cars are going to become uh, an issue. Now, am I really in the market for a new car right now? No, I kind of went through my whole cycle of doing that for the family <laughs> a couple of years ago. I do want a new truck and this is going to affect my ability to get a new truck, probably at a lower price that I wanted. Whether it's a Cybertruck or a GMC or whatever it is, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on that. And if I wanted a used vehicle, like three or four years from now, if I want a used vehicle, now I have to figure out, does that have a substandard chip in it? Or Mm. can I get a model with a better chip? Or can I get an aftermarket chip to throw it in there to increase the capabilities? Who knows? It's just going to be a big issue all the way around. I know I just took a gigantic (laughs) sidetrack with this whole thing, but it's important to note all of this when we're discussing electronics and anything with a computer chip in it, probably for the next year or two. Well, I look forward to seeing what happens with all of this chip stuff. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to SP's news points. But let's just make sure that we uh, we give him a special little bumper there. This is Note 7 Watch 2016. Sorry, one of you guys mentioned the note. I had to, I had to dig it out. Yeah, it was me. Oh, yeah, that brings back good memories. All right. So in the past week, what did we see? I mentioned it last time. The SpaceX SN11 was set to fly. I noticed all sorts of issues that were pending with it. Kind of shocked it went off how it did. Elon is pushing, and I shouldn't have been shocked about that because Elon always pushed. But here's the fallout and a little bit of my opinion on how things are going to shake out from here. It's not going to be roses here. It's going to be a little bit uh, not confrontational, a little bit uh, just out of the ordinary, right? Okay, so what we have here is SN11 took off uh, the day after we recorded the last podcast it was tuesday march 20 march 30th but sn11 was the same as its three predecessors eight nine and ten and it took off from boca chica texas the same flight profile went up to 10 kilometers went over into a belly flop maneuver that's what is being called now and then it was going down to land back at boca chica it was flying with the flaps angling down and it ignited one engine, ignited the second engine, it had good diamonds on both engines, 
And the third engine ignited and lost the signal. Didn't see anything after that. Because there was fog in the area, you just didn't have a good visual of what happened. And with the loss of signal, you didn't know what happened with SN11. So you had this cloud of foggy haze. I don't think it was pollution. I think it literally was just morning fog haze that's down there in Boca Chica. And that was a little bit different that Elon pushed for the flight test early in the morning where he could have waited for the fog to burn off and get a good visual of everything later in the afternoon. I'm betting he's regretting that decision. Well, after that third engine lit, and it was going to start what I will call the pull-up maneuver. I know it's not what it's called, but the pull-up maneuver, because Elon made a joke about it on Twitter. There was a massive explosion. The people that were on the ground there to view it heard it. The cameras that were recording it heard it. The problem is we didn't know exactly what happened when. Did it fall down to the ground and explode? Did it explode in the air? Well, the first indication was that debris from the explosion was found up to five miles away. To me, that indicates an air explosion because very few times you get something on the ground and it explodes and you get something that's five miles away. Sometimes it happens, but not all the times. But overflights of the area perform post-event by RGV aerial photography, and they fly over an actual plane because you can't fly over drones over Space Base USA or Boca Chica. They confirmed that the prototype did not land, the prototype being SN11, did not land or impact the landing pad, and major pieces of the ship were scattered throughout the area, throughout the launch and landing area. I, at the time of this recording, am unaware of any reporting indicating any major damage occurred during the flight or upon explosion. By that, I mean there was no buildings that were completely taken out that were integral to the SpaceX's future plans. The tank farm survived. Even the little, the little prototype that they used for the very beginning, right? It, it was there. It, it lost all its liquid because I think the explosion shook loose the tank or whatever so all the water it's a firefighting station right now and all the water came out and everything but there was no major damage there was minor damage like an atv was totally lost and maybe some non-essential buildings were lost but nothing big occurred and there was no damage to the any of the other prototypes or buildings that are used to actually construct this all right now we're going to get into a little bit of my opinion on what's going on here so i'm going to state it as my opinion i'm not going to Say I'm going to say that it is not the views of Gunna Geek. It's not the views of Chris or Steven. This is just my personal opinion on what happened. Hold on. So let, let, me, let me cover you here. Yeah. SP's opinion 2021. There you go. As stated previously by me on this show, it's become apparent to me that there is some sort of major design flaw in the Raptor rocket engine, or I'm going to include the fuel system now which is causing issues in these Starship flights. Now, earlier today, Elon Musk replied to a tweet, and it was a question by Everything SpaceX asked, Elon, how's the investigation into SN11's RUD going? And RUD is rapid unplanned disassembly. Elon replied, ascent phase, transition to horizontal, which is the belly flop maneuver, and control during free fall were all good. A parentheses relatively, small CH4, which is methane, leak led to fire on engine two and fried part of the avionics, 
causing hard start attempting landing burn in C4H turbo pump. This is getting fixed six ways to Sunday. That was the tweet. All right, a lot to unpack here. We've seen fire in the avionics bay where the rockets are before. We have seen them in all the previous flights. We have also seen a fire from a vent, a fuel vent, on the pad after SN10 landed. And then eight minutes later, SN10 exploded. You have issues going on with the design, in my opinion, for all that to happen. Further, Elon did not give any indication, either in that tweet or any other tweet that I've seen, he might have, but I just haven't seen it, on whether the improved Raptor design on SN15 that he stated in the tweet there and previous tweets, or the new Raptor vacuum design, which they're call calling RVAC, by the way. Because remember, Starship has six engines and it. it has three C-level optimized engines and then three vacuum optimized engines. So there was no improved, there's no known if the improved design in RVAC which was recently spotted as SpaceX McGregor rocket test engine stand there in Texas, incorporated any fixes to this stated leak problem. And there's a nice picture, if you haven't seen it, of the McGregor, of the two rocket engines, you can clearly see a difference in size. And the one on the right happens to be the one that we've seen in all the test flights so far, and the one on the left is the vacuum. It's huge in comparison. Same rocket engine, it's just optimized for different uh, atmospheres. Moving on further, the FAA is clearly stepping up its safety monitoring of these flights as all four of the SN8 through SN11 flights have resulted in RUD, and the latest flight had a large potential to perform grave damage to people and property in the surrounding area. Grave damage. It exploded in the air, sent shrapnel at least five miles away, and uh, from different things that I've read, even might have impacted some wildlife reserves or whatever they call it down there so complicating things is that the next prototype vehicle sn15 contains significant design changes as i said before according to elon musk which could further delay faa clearance because not only do they have to investigate what happened with sn8 through sn11 with the procedures and the design but now they have to apply that to the sn15 design and say okay have you fixed it is there a good potential that this will not explode so that's going to take some time to convince the FAA that this is safe and it is not potentially a grave danger to humans or property. Also, at this point, I would expect, and I want to stress, this is only my opinion. I am a rocket scientist, but I am just one guy that happens to know a thing or two about this hardware, that SpaceX will have to conduct a strategic pause to evaluate all the potential causes of the failed flights and to make certain SN15 does not suffer a similar fate. Basically, bottom line, it could be a while before we see the next SpaceX Starship test flight. So Chris, Stephen, how do you like that? What do you think? Do you think uh, Elon's just going to try to power through and bowl over the FAA? Or do you think the FAA is finally going to win, have that strategic pause for safety's sake? I kind of expressed last week on the show that I was... Not exactly in the same mindset that y you had been with the whole FAA, not sending someone out um, or having somebody on hand and maybe playing the bureaucracy game a little bit. Um, 
I, I think it's become very clear what they're doing. And, and it's that they are really trying to force them to dot their I's and cross their T's. And I think that they've they've realized that maybe they've been pushing things a little much. And I, I think that they're you're going to see more of that stuff happen. And this is the way they're going to do it. Uh, um, the FAA is by really hold, holding their feet to the fire to do everything to to uh, a, a letter. So that's sort of I think it's all become clear. And if things go boom, who's really going to hold the FAA? Who's really going to give the FAA crap for trying to slow things down to take a look at? Them? Yeah, exactly. So I think that we now know why that happened last week or the week before, whatever it was. I think it all does make sense now. Yeah, it was the week before last that the FAA was. So the flight was on Tuesday. On Friday, Elon wanted to go ahead with the flight and he couldn't because the person wasn't in place. And then. They were not there on Monday. It took the FAA another day to get there. I do question the ability for the FAA to get somebody there on site. I think they really need to have a permanent presence. And I think it at this point needs to be more than one person. I think you need to set up a small satellite office there and start transferring people to Brownsville, Texas, much like Elon Musk is doing with his company and everything surrounding. He's actually come out and said he's investing in the area. He's donating a lot of money to uh, create new schools because, you know, when you bring a ton of people into an area that's it's not meant to have a ton of people and they're young professional workers, they're going to have kids and you have to have the infrastructure to handle all that. So Elon is making this a growth area. I think the FAA needs to step in for safety's sake if they're going to monitor commercial spaceflight activities and they need to put somebody there. I will stay that. But Aside from that, SpaceX is just going to have to cool its heels a little bit mm -hmm. and think about safety. Because what if the freefall fl flight, like one of the flaps came off and this trajectory was a little bit different, a little bit off, and it went further inland or hit somebody's house? Because people stu still do live in Boca Chica right now. They have yeah. to evacuate for this whole thing. So what if something that would happen and, and what's the potential it may, I don't know, somebody's chickens or dogs or something would have been impacted. I, there's an ever increasing chance as things are continuing here when you have a design that is not solidifying. So I, I'm worried about the future a little bit. I'm trying to err on the side of safety. Uh, you know, if I have a chance to ever work for SpaceX, that's going to be my chief thought in, with everything is how can we make this safer? Be, because let's take the SN10, right? So you land, you have eight minutes to get the heck out of there before it explodes. And okay, it's possible, but I don't want that to be a possibility. Let's make it a little bit safer so that doesn't happen. So yeah, I, I have issues right now with what's going on. I think a strategic pause to really look at everything, not to slow Elon down, not to slow SpaceX down, but to make sure that we do it safely. And then push on from there. And I, I think it's all possible, but I think both sides need to get together and have a good plan for it. I know what Elon's going to want to do. Let's just test. Let's fire it up. Let's go. Okay, well, I get that. But now you're dealing with people that have real property and lives at stake. So let's take it a little bit slower, at least. I agree. Well, I look forward to finding out um, what piece of space debris he does end up putting on my house. 
Well, let's go on to our extra extra before we close the show down here. Uh, hey, I know that you had another piece of exciting space news. that's again, related to me. That's really cool. It's all about my new toy. It is. Let's talk about Ingenuity. That's the helicopter that's on Mars right now. And it's literally on Mars right now. In the past week, it has been lowered from Percy. It has touched down and it is ready to go. Now, the issue was, would it survive the first night? Because they didn't know if the heating systems would be able to heat it because it gets really cold there at night. So they put it down. They want to go through a cycle or two cycles to make sure that it can keep warm, that the solar arrays are powering the battery and that it has a good power before it starts flying because there's a bunch of transportation on there that you want to make sure are working. And Percy's going to watch this whole thing too. So now they're saying the first flight won't occur earlier than April 11th, which will be roughly a week from now. So we'll see if that happens or if they have to further delay, but there's just a bunch of checks that need to happen. Have you guys seen the picture of ingenuity on the ground away from Percy. Yes, I'm super excited. This is so cool. They're going to fly a helicopter on Mars. I love it. I think it's great. And um, I do look forward to seeing how it compares to my drone because I will be flying it. You know, it's interesting that you say that because there was no reason that they gave for the further delay because it was supposed to be by May or April 8th and they gave it a three day delay. I think, and this is just my opinion again, but I think it was most likely to go through their checks and processes to make sure that Stephen would not be able to take control of the helicopter during its first flight. I'm well, pretty sure that they, you have caused them the three-day delay. You know what the problem is, right? It's because I've only got an Xbox controller here, and they want me to, to use the superior PlayStation controller. That's what they uh, want. No, no, hmm. no. They want you to use... The Google Stadia controller like I had <laughs> sitting right here. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, no. I will not be flying that. No, they want you to use the microphone. <laughs> oh, the microphone. Uh, let's go to our next extra extra. And hey, if you don't know what that was referencing, maybe you should come to our live recordings on 5.45 p.m. Pacific time. That's 8.45 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays at geeks.live. Uh, today, I read that it's official. LG's shutting down their mobile phone business worldwide. This has been widely rumored for a while, but today on the 5th of April, LG did officially announce that they will be shutting down their mobile division. From their announcement, quote, LG's strategic decision to exit the incredibly competitive mobile phone sector will enable the company to focus resources in growth areas such as electric vehicle components, connected devices, smart homes, robotics, artificial intelligence, and business-to-business solutions, as well as platforms and services, end quote. It's going to be around or by July 31st that you'll see all of this completed and closed down. Now, as we've talked about on the show, LG has been in the mobile sector for quite some time. In fact, Chris and I, in the past have mused about some of their phones and considered them on here. And some of them have been quite expensive. Now, we've never, I don't think, owned one of their mo- their modern mobile phones. 
but um, maybe I sort of did. I, I guess had a you, Nexus Five, I, which actually, was an LG phone. That's fair. I owned a Nexus Five as well. Okay, so we both did have that, but we never had one of the LG branded ones. But we both have considered them at various times, and sometimes the LG phones have had a hefty price tag. So if you're one of those listeners or viewers who have one of those, and you're saying to yourself, Stephen, I know that your opinion is that it's really important for Android users to get their security updates. Well, you are in luck because LG has announced that they will continue supporting existing smartphone owners. Their press release did say that they will continue supporting existing users for, quote, a period of time which will vary by region, end quote. That's what they are committing to, a period of time which will vary by region. So to that, to that, I have to say right here, right now, this podcast is changing formats because usually we target to be about an hour each episode. And I'm going to change that target to be a period of time which will vary by region. That's going to be our new shot here. <laughs> How are you going to change the time per region? I might do a special release that is only available for Canadians. Huh. It'll be available on the Gonna Geek Plus, only available in Canada. Well, I mean, I do own the domain <laughs> Gonna Geek Plus, if I remember correctly. We can make this happen. Subscribe on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Gonna Geek Plus, which doesn't yeah. exist. So this is not surprising. LG has been around in the phones for a long time. Like I once owned, I think my very first phone actually was an LG, a little clam clamshell flip phone. It was uh, when I was young, younger, I believe it was an LG. So. Yeah, you know, uh, not not that surprising. They've really, really tried. They've tried some really different things um, with some of their phones, but they never could really get that firm grip that Samsung has had in the Android market. It's interesting that we're talking about this today because I was always on the treadmill this afternoon. I was watching Iron Man and in the original Iron Man for 2008, and he had that funky phone. It wasn't a smartphone. It was a phone with the screen that flipped up and went horizontal. If you guys remember, and he had a little keyboard underneath that. Uh, so I was watching that and I paid attention to the brand. It was an LG. I don't think it was ever a production phone. I think it was just maybe a one-off or whatever they did, did for the screen. But that was interesting. And my last LG phone that I owned and used, I believe, I might be off on this, was the Verizon Voyager. You guys remember this thing? It was a full keyboard phone from top to bottom, except for it was sideways. And it had a uh, screen that flipped up. So it had a bigger screen on the outside. It had a smaller screen on the inside. And then when you flipped it up, it had speaker, stereo speakers. And it was not, when you compare it to the modern smartphones, it was nothing in comparison. But back in the day of like 2008-ish, 2007-ish, the Voyager was just a rocking phone to have. I remember I had it. I have no idea how much I spent on it. But I believe the carcass of that phone, because I don't even know if it would power up anymore, is out in a drawer in the great room, just right outside that door. So I, I should have grabbed it before this uh, podcast. But yeah, the last Voyager or the last LG phone I had was the Voyager. It was the Starship Voyager? Voyager. We have to call it Starship, right? <laughs> so this is kind of a bummer. I mean... We all knew it was going to happen, but LG was doing the crazy stuff lately, for lack of a better term, because 
Did you guys see what was it, the Wing? I think they called it one of their most recent Android smartphones. No, I did this not know this thing was crazy. It was like a it was like a phone in the traditional shape that we're used to seeing just like this. But then if you hit a button on the side, the screen spun to the side. So you had like a T shape and there was a second screen underneath. So like you could have a second smaller screen while you're playing something in widescreen. So in theory, you could be watching a movie on the widescreen, have your Twitter up on the smaller screen that was below. It was really kind of cool. And they were also saying they were working not on a foldable phone, but on a rollable phone, which had not yet come out. So there was some cool stuff they had in the works that I think would have been neat to see, but I totally get their move. It's not sustainable here. When's the last time you heard anyone go to the store and make, oh, I got this new LG V30, like the V20 and the V30 were good phones, but they paled in comparison to everyone buying Samsung phones or iPhones. I mean, Samsung is pretty much the big name in Android now. And if you go and look at what's left, HTC's gone, LG's gone. So you've got on the high end Samsung, on the mid to low end, you've got Motorola in whatever form they are now. And Nokia has an Android phone, but I I think that there's not really a ton of players there. And it's kind of a bummer, but I hope that some of the creative things they were doing gets picked up by the folks like maybe over at OnePlus or Huawei or any of the other... Chinese companies are out there. Some of them are not able to be purchased here in the United States, but I want to see the crazy pioneering spirit we were seeing from LG in their dying days move on to some other organizations just so we get some cool, weird stuff. Well, that was the thing. I don't remember which one it was, but I almost bought the one that had the um, the swappable modules. Like it went when... Oh, yeah. That only lasted a year. Yeah. I almost bought that. I was so interested. Um, by the way, I mentioned my first phone was a... Uh, I, I believe to be an LG, and I did just confirm um, for the video viewer. Uh, I had cracked my first phone. I had fallen with it in my pocket. Actually, when I, heard, I had done that, I had cracked a rib too. But um, it at the same time, cracked my my display on my LG phone, and I have I, I managed to find a picture of the display or my attempt to take a picture of the cracked display. But I was using like either a really cheap digital camera that couldn't focus or another crappy cl- uh, clamshell <laughs> phone. So here it is right there. And it's also protecting you from seeing a crotch shot just for the video viewer. So uh, it's it, safer for it, us it's, all. Exactly. So there you go. It's very fuzzy, but you can kind of make out the LG logo and a crack display. Yeah, it was a green display. And I, I loved that it. it was green backlit. I do. I miss the green and the black. The mm. green uh, screen and the black, or the black background and the green text. I miss those days. Yeah. All right. And I think you had one final extra, extra news point for us, didn't you, SP? I did. So, you know, guys, I'm into space and stuff. Well, Disney Plus had the series called The Right Stuff. And after one season, Disney Plus said, nope, we're not going to do it anymore. Now, The Right Stuff was. Wait, 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 wait. So, what you're saying is that they did not have the right stuff. They had the wrong stuff. Apparently not, yes. Now, this is the same story that's after the book that Wolf wrote. And the movie, back in the day, the right stuff that was so iconic. And they were taking the Mercury 7 astronauts through it. And apparently, I have not watched this. I think people were getting it confused with the Apple TV Plus series that uh, For All Mankind, I believe that's called which is fictitious. It's, you know, fictitious history there. And I think it just got all lumped in together, unfortunately, and it just never took off. 
Now, they are shopping it around. Warner Brothers said, hey, wait, here's the complicating factor. I think today the rights to the actors expired and Warner Brothers was trying to make Disney extend that for two weeks so that Warner Brothers could take a good hard look and see if they wanted this series or not. If I'm Disney Plus, I don't know if I do that because I'm not sure what's involved in extending the actors for two weeks, but I have to assume it is not cheap. And if there's nothing on the other end of it, even if Warner Brothers pays the bill, it's, you know, whatever. It's a series that they're getting rid of. So I just don't see this living any further, definitely with Warner Brothers. And if the actor's contracts expire and Warner Brothers picked it up, then it's all sorts of issues with recasting and stuff like that. Because let's face it, the characters, the Mercury 7 astronauts have to be there in order to make this, this movie, all seven of them the entire time. So. We'll see if that makes it any further, but the right stuff is canceled by Disney+. Plus. I have to say, I was completely oblivious to this whole thing. Sorry. I, I, I honestly hadn't heard of it until today. I was going to pick it up later on in the summer as I was running on the treadmill or whatever, but it wasn't high on my priority. Same here. This is a show that I think was originally supposed to be on Nat Geo. And then yeah, they it moved was. over to Disney Plus. Well, it was Nat Geo on Disney Plus, I believe. Yeah. But I don't think it actually broadcast on National Geographic Channel like the original plans had been for it. I think it yeah. became only on Disney Plus. So Nat Geo did a couple of seasons of that Mars, uh, the, the whole Mission to Mars thing. And I watched the first season, but I haven't picked up the second season. I mean, there's just so much TV out there and I have so little time. And I have to do this little thing called work. And then I podcast for fun. So I don't have all the time in the world to watch all these series. And I just pick them up as I go along. And heck, even with the pandemic, I'm still behind on a lot of stuff. Well, that's going to go ahead and take us towards the end of the show. Before we go, though, let's tease next week. SP is going to have a space symposium next week. And what do you got on in the hopper for next week, SP? That'll be a fun discussion. It will. I've created it to be an extra fun discussion. I'll probably take a little bit more time to craft it a little bit more. We're going to be talking about the Galileo spacecraft probe that went to Jupiter in 1989. We talked about Magellan already that was launched out of the space shuttle Atlantis. This was the second probe that was launched out of the space shuttle. So it's going to be a good talk. We're going to talk a little bit about space shuttles. We're going to talk a little about Jovian moons. We're going to talk a little bit about road trips and what our longest road trips are. So this is going to be a fun discussion. So don't miss it. Also, I did mention earlier, we do stream this show live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. You can come chat with us there. Kent in our chat has suggested that SP can skip sleep and watch more stuff. I, I think that the logic tracks. So, SP, our chat has solved your problem. Oh, thank you so much, <laughs> chat room. I really appreciate the thoughts. And as I... Uh, just collapse from exhaustion between now and next show and I'm not available to be on the next show, you'll know why. And I will do my best SP impression when I read through your symposium. Go ahead. Be my guest. <laughs> Anybody could do it right now. A monkey guest, could do it. Guest lecturer, Stephen John Drew. I'm not going to do a good job. Let's be honest. All right, Chris, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? You know, I would encourage you, if you've had the opportunity to guest host on any podcast lately, maybe you want to plug yourself a little bit. That's just my suggestion, but you go where you want to go. 
Steven, I'm not a guest on this show. I'm here every week. <laughs> I was not talking about that. It might rhyme with Medjins of Mealed. Yes, I kid. Uh, SP was kind enough to extend an invite to me to be on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. last week to discuss episode two of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I do believe that should be out and available in all your feeds now. It was a ton of fun getting to reunite with both SP and Michelle, my co-host on the Starling Tribune, and talk some MCU goodness in it. If you enjoyed my appearance last week, you better prepare your ear holes because I'm back this week for episode three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I love when you're in my ear holes at Chris. I love it. Chris, is there anything else that you would like to plug or promote since I kind of forced you to do that? Just the old standby. Don't forget, there's a lot of live content that we have. Go over to Geeks.Live. If you're watching the show live, you're there right now. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and there's a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. Please come back, check out some of that live content and let them know that we sent you. SP, what would you like to plug or promote since, you know, you managed to force me to make Chris plug your show? With his ear holes. With his ear holes. I had the phenomenal opportunity to guest on the Chris and Christine show from the world famous K2 Studios in San Diego. I did not travel to San Diego, unfortunately, but that is where the show is home. And it was episode 82 titled Space, Podcasting, and a Wedding. And then Christine makes a special announcement with me on the show. I was just, I was very honored that she made that announcement while I was on the show. I won't say what that announcement is. It was very special for Christine. So go check that out. And Chris is an avid listener of better podcasting. So he had me on the show and it was just a a blast. It was fun. And I really thank them for having me on the show. And it was, it was a fun show. If you like me talking about space and sci-fi movies and stuff here, you should go check out that show. It was really fun. Awesome. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. So for episode 371 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, yep, the show has a new format, a new length of time. And I'm SP and I'm looking forward to getting my next note phone. I'm Chris and I regret using the term ear holes already. <laughs> Chris ear holes feral coming soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.